So, Berto, I have some questions from the internet for you that people submitted for you to answer and for me to answer. So let's go to those and answer them. What do you say, Berto? Sounds good. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Casaneda, and I design manuals for devices. So this first question is from Lily from Bright, Australia. There's a town in Australia called Bright, it sounds like. Bright? And it's just Bright? Bright. Okay. Uh, this one is for Umberto, they write. I was listening to one of your episodes the other day and heard you talking about the movie Kramer versus Kramer. This movie came out the year my parents split. At the time, it had a profound effect on me, which somehow I'd pushed to the back of my brain. When I heard Umberto talking about it, I was instantly transported right back there. It was really comforting to hear that I'm not the only one who had that experience. Thanks, Umberto. Any thoughts on that? Oh, man. Yeah, I can I can feel feel the feels. Um, yep. When I don't remember the first time I saw the movie, I didn't see it in the theater. Uh, I saw it. I think in college or something like I, I don't remember, but it was, it was like on VHS. Um, maybe it was on TV even, but when I saw it, I had such a visceral reaction to it because, uh, I could really identify like the, the kid was about, you know, it's a little kid and, uh, the dad, there's a lot of aspects of Dustin Hoffman's character that reminded me of my own dad. Um, and, and then just like the struggles between the two of them, and how much it, you know, it's just like what an impact it has on the little one. And so I really felt it. I, I was in tears when I watched it. Um, yeah. It was, and it was a very well acted movie, you know, very, very good. I wonder if a whole new generation of people will grow up in 20 years and have similar thoughts about the movie Marriage Story, which yeah. was also about a divorce. Famous patron Lyndon had some questions for you, Berto. Okay. He asks, he always comes up with these good short questions for us. Birdo, what is your ideal sandwich? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm salivating. All right. So th- there's I, there's a couple answers to this. One is the sandwich that I get every year on my birthday since I think, I mean, it might be going back a decade it might have been for 10 years. And this was the first year I didn't get it exactly on my birthday because I was sick on my birthday, which sucked. But it is a sandwich that I saw while reading the graphic novel Wanted. Um, at the beginning of the graphic novel, the main character, who's sort of like a ripoff of the main character in Fight Club, sort of mixed with the main character in uh, Office uh, Office Space. Yeah, Office Space. Um, But anyway, so the main character is talking about how dreary their life is because everything's always the same. And one of the things they point to is how every day for lunch, they go to this one place and they get the same sandwich. And then they have a picture of the sandwich and he describes the sandwich. And it is, it's um, sesame encrusted salmon with a wasabi aioli or wasabi mayo, sorry. And with uh, mustard greens on a toasted uh, sourdough bread. And it's like the wide, sort of like uh, shibata, sort of uh, kind of flat and wide bread. 
and the picture looks so good. And I'm sitting there reading that. I'm like, you have that every day? That sounds delicious. So then I made it a point, like, I'm going to have that. And I started having it for my birthday. And it's so good. So good. There's been exceptions, like um, years where like, oh, man, no, we didn't have the right ingredients, this, that. And every time I feel bad when it's not the exact same thing. So that's that's like my favorite birthday sandwich. But I do have a secondary, secondary favorite sandwich, which is very simple. And it's a peanut butter, banana, and jelly sandwich. Yeah, that sounds like that's what my mom used to have uh, was – uh, well, what she would have would be um, – it was toast and she would put peanut butter down and then she put a banana down, banana you know, coins yeah. down. And then sometimes she put honey on top of that. Ooh, that sounds good too. Just in general like bread and, – and I do generally like bread toasty. Not too toasted but toasty. Uh, so toasty bread with some peanut butter, some banana and some sort of – little bit of sweet – especially if it's like a marionberry or, oh my gosh. But I do honey too. That sounds good too. So for me, my answer, even though famous patron didn't ask me this question, I want to answer it too, because I am such a sandwich eater that at one point in my life, my friends would say that I eat so many sandwiches, I'm going to get sandwich cancer. (laughs) And uh, so I, I have a little list here. The first one that came to mind was a perfect little baguette, mm. chewy, chewy, but not too tough, mm-hmm. you know, fresh out of the oven. There's a little French bakery down by Antioch that I go to often that has really good baguettes. You, you can't just go to the store and get a baguette from the grocery mm-hmm. store because it's usually been out there too long and that kind of thing. So you don't need to toast this because it already is toasted from the oven it just came out of. Right. Brie, lots of creamy, moldy-ass brie, (laughs) butter, turkey, not too much, cranberry. This is a classic French French turkey cran brie sandwich. Love that. Just, you know, (laughs) that – and sometimes, like when I was in France, they – the hotel we were staying at had a little – you know, continental breakfast area, and it had all the fixings. And it was a pretty small hotel that probably only had like maybe a dozen rooms or something. Hmm. And in the basement, like in a wine cellar kind of area, they, you know, they just had this glorious spread. And I found that my mouth is watering just thinking about it. (laughs) Every day I would just go down there and I would get one of the baguettes and I would just put a ton of brie and I think maybe like – like, uh, what are they called? Currants or something? Anyway. Oof. Another favorite is a grilled ham and cheese with French fries. Oh, sure. Like from, yeah, like from a, a classic American diner. Uh-huh. Wait, American uh, cheese? No, cheddar. Okay, good. Yeah. Phew. Uh, another one is a toasted bagel, just toasted just enough, similar to that chewy but not too tough baguette, mm-hmm. but, def- but definitely toasted. Cream cheese, not too much. Mm-hmm. Lox, capers, red onions. I'm down for that, dude. Another one. This is this is the one that I sur- sur- gave you, and uh, you loved it, which was toasted white bread, cheddar cheese, a good amount, mm. peanut butter, mm. and dill pickle. Yes, I did love it. I oh my gosh, my mouth is watering. Mm. People people freak out about this one, of course. You know because cheese, peanut butter, dill pickle. Trust me, people, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, and then my last one here is a croissant club. 
So you got mm, sure. mayo, mayo, mustard, roasted turkey, Swiss cheese, bacon. Just an amazing experience. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay, okay. I will say that my if, uh, third sandwich. And by the way, I'm not counting arepas. Like I'm just that's a separate thing. So my third sandwich would be, in fact, a really good croissant with avocado, some like garlic, maybe garlic spread or something, and uh, melted cheese. Oh, and then back when I was eating eggs, I would have had a fried egg in there. Oh my gosh! So wait, hmm. getting back to your favorite that has salmon. I thought you were vegan. Wait, my my salmon sandwich. I'm yeah. mostly vegan, but we're talking about my birthday. What am I supposed to do? Not eat my salmon be- sandwich on my birthday? Like, what is this world coming to? I see. Next salmon question. are not people, my friend. Next question from. Uh, but it does have eyes. Uh, this next question from famous patron Lennon asks, what is a book you've always wanted to read but never got around to, Berto? Oh, yes. Okay. So actually, the, the, <laughs> there's one that I've started a billion times and never finished. Um, it's called uh, the, uh, the Golden Braid, I think. Um, uh, and it's, it's a book written uh, probably in the 80s, maybe? The Golden... Golden Braid, uh, Escher, Bach. Do you know the book I'm talking about? No. Okay, so uh, Godel Escher Bach, Eternal Golden Braid. That's the name of the book. It was written by Douglas, Douglas Hofstetter. And it is this fascinating book, totally recommend it, where it's got all these narratives about... Um, but it, historical narratives, but related to puzzles and mathematics. And it's really fascinating. But the reason I never finished it is because I would get to this one part in the book where there was sort of a, a puzzle that it presented and I was trying to solve it. And I didn't want to keep going in the book until I solved the stupid puzzle. But inevitably I would get busy with other things and then I wouldn't solve the puzzle. And then time would go by and I'm like, Ah, uh, okay, fine. I guess I'll never solve the puzzle. But now I forgot the the first part of the book. So I would start reading the book again and then get back to the puzzle. And then I'd be like, okay, this time I'm really going to solve the puzzle. Uh, so I still have to finish reading it. Like, I have never finished the book. Interesting. Uh, sorry. And, and then the, the the other one is more one that I've not, never even started, but I've always wanted to read. And it's um, uh, the, the Dostoevsky... Um, uh, brothers, was brothers Karamazov? I think. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I mean, I I can't even begin to answer this question because I am one of the least literate person that you'll ever meet. Um, <laughs> all the reading that I've done in my life has been for academics or work or whatever. Um, all the books or ninety nine percent of the books on my shelf. I will say that I in one of those little public library booths that you see in in communities and neighborhoods, you know, the little take, leave one, take one little book yeah. things. Uh, I Before the coronavirus thing, I actually perused one of those in my neighborhood and they had an old copy of Pinocchio. Oh. And I thought, huh, well, I've, I've never actually read that story. And it probably is, you know, very different from the cartoon, you know, because it probably predates it. Yeah. And boy, was I right. I, I actually yeah. <laughs> read it uh, maybe last week, a couple weeks ago. It's pretty short. It's a very weird book. Isn't that – is that Grimm, Brothers Grimm? Uh, I don't know. I don't think okay. so. Oh, but okay. it uh, – I guess I would know if I read oh, the book. Oh, no, because it's an Italian story, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I don't know. I, it's stretching my abilities here, but I will say that the book is very strange. There's, there's, in the similar way that when you learn about the real story of like Cinderella or yeah. the real story of the uh, Little Red Riding Hood, you're up, or the real story of. Um, Hansel and Gretel, you're just right. like, my God, that's a violent, <laughs> horrible, and kind of bo- boring story. You know, some of these stories, you're just like, man, you know that that middle part was just long and dreary. Yeah, and and so uh, Pinocchio is kind of that way. There's there's some weird twists and turns that that Disney simplified into a much more enjoyable story. I will yeah, say, yeah. Uh, I, I had well, even with the Disney story, I, I I tended to be confused when I was a kid. I was like, "Wait, what? What happened?" Because there, there's a, an even more simplified version of the story that focuses on on the core of it, which is like, "Okay, he's a little puppet. He wants to be real, and he gets into some trouble." But there's a lot more, even in the movie, in the Disney movie. There's a lot more to the story, and I'm like. It was always a little hard for me to follow. Uh, and by the way, it was an Italian writer named Carlo Col- Collodi. Next question from famous patron Lennon. He writes, what is an establishment, bar, club, store, restaurant, cafe, etc. in Seattle that is closed that you dearly miss? Berto, what do you think? Well, I think the original um, Cuban sandwich place went away. Oh, like, in, in Fremont? In Fremont, yeah. And then they like reopened, but I don't know if it's... I don't know that it's the like as good. I I remember trying it after reopened, and now I'm not sure if it was as good or not. Um, but certainly the original was amazing. Yeah. Um, and then I guess uh, I will say yeah. on that topic, if you're looking for a good Cubano sandwich, is to go to Gio's, which is a actual Cuban restaurant in Greenwood. It has oh. an excellent Cubano sandwich that absolutely rivals the one from that place that you're talking oh, nice. about, which I, which I can't remember the name of right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, I don't know. I don't, I mean, some of my favorite sandwiches, or sandwiches, restaurants are still around, luckily. Um, how about you? You must have a whole bunch because you know so many restaurants. Yeah. So I actually made a list when, <laughs> when I, <laughs> and it's long. So uh, so these are not just restaurants, but clubs and bars too. And some of okay. these- You'll be like, oh my god, yeah, I remember that place. Um, so, oh, the, the underground. First... If, if we're counting clubs, the underground. Exactly, I have that on my list too. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to rattle off the ones that are significant but not a huge deal to me, uh, and then I'll get to the ones that are truly painful to me. Okay. So, Burger Shack in Belltown. It was mm. a very short-lived burger place in Belltown that. It, I thought had the best burger I'd ever eaten and it mm. disappeared. And now it's like, I think a pizza place, which is also good. Anyway, the underground in the U district, as you said. Yeah. But I don't really miss that place. Cause it's not like I would go back there if I was, you know, <laughs> if I, if I wanted to, the down under in Belltown, which is another dance place, the Scarlet tree in Ravenna, hmm. the, the Vogue in Belltown, which is another dance place from back in the day. It was, it was the goth industrial place. The Ditto in Belltown, which was a place that my band would play a lot, and oh. other other big bands like Soundgarden and Mother Love Bone and all those bands would play there as well. New World, which was in Ballard. It was a club. Uh, I played there with Harvey Danger back in the day. 
Wow. The, the Firehouse, which is in Ballard. The various bagel shops in Seattle all kind of disappeared. There used to be a fair amount of bagel shops in, in Seattle. That's true. The Oz, which was Scoochies oh, back in yes. the day. Um, yes. Another dance place down by the Space Needle. Village Sushi, the original location. Blue Bistro on Capitol Hill was this very mm. cool. Did you ever go there with me? Yes, yes. Yeah, very kitsch, extremely kitschy, cool little venue. Every uh, booth that you ate in had its own culture and its own look, and you were completely cut off from other people. So you, you felt like everyone there, it's like you had your own little weird closet <laughs> that you could eat in. Rock Candy, which was a club downtown Seattle. If you're familiar with the very first Pearl Jam video, Alive, they shot it there. Celebrities, which was a dance club downtown Seattle, uh, where the Phoenix Underground eventually was. Hmm. Um, I have a lot of good memories from there. Dutch Ned's, where I played in Pioneer Square, my band used to play there a lot. Sit and Spin in Belltown, which was a place where you could... Uh, it was a bar slash club slash laundromat. Laundromat, yeah. Uh, the Cloud Room, which was a bar at the top of a hotel downtown, that was amazing. Oh, I re- I went. Wait, which hotel was it? Because I remember going um, to the top of a hotel to a bar. Yeah, uh, the Warwick or the yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, that, yeah, I didn't know that I, was gone. Yes, I believe it is. Oh. Uh, Romper Room, which was another dance club in mm. uh, in Belltown by the Space Signal, kind of. And then later it became Hula Hula, which also closed. Oh, right. Yeah, you remember Hula Hula. Yeah. Uh, which is a very fun karaoke place that we went to almost every week, it seemed, for a <laughs> while there. Uh, Teeny Biggs, which was right next door. That was a f- the erotic bakery. And Wait, the, Teeny the, Biggs closed too? Yeah, now it's uh, the whole that whole block has been torn down, and I think uh, it's con- con- condos now. The Erotic Bakery, which was this very risque, very famous bakery mm-hmm. in in Wallingford, that made whatever kind of na- naughty cake you wanted for a birthday cake. So <laughs> you you could get a this was like in the late eighties. You could get wow. you could get a cake with a giant penis coming out of it or something, you know, <laughs> and that was. You know, really something in the 80s. Uh, yeah. You didn't see that kind of stuff very much. Um, Cafe Minis, which was right across the street from Hula Hula. And it was a 24. It was one of those, you know, when it's late night and it's after 2 o'clock and you've been drinking and you want to get some food. Yeah. There were only a few places that you could eat 24-7 in Seattle and Cafe Minis was one of those places. It was kind of like the fancier place yep. that the fancier people would go to. Like, uh, you know, Mitch would be a guy that would go to Cafe <laughs> Minis. Um, all the various video stores that I miss in Seattle. There was a point where I was so poor that I couldn't afford to pay late fees for my uh, late videotapes that uh-huh. instead of paying the fee, cause I just literally didn't have the money. I would say, well, I guess I'm never going back to that video store. <laughs> and, you know, cause this is before blockbuster was a thing or was yeah. a big thing. Like in Seattle, you had probably 50 different little, you know, mom and pop video stores. And so I would just go to the next video store down the street. 
And and I would love that video store until I made a mistake and returned one late. And I was like, well, shit, I'm never going back there again. Uh, Um, I probably did that to like 25 different video stores, by the way. And coincidentally, they would all go out of business shortly after. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the 50th Street Market, which was on 50th Street in Wallingford. I used to work there. I kind of missed that place. Various different movie theaters, like the UA Theater, which used to be down in Belltown. Anyone listening is probably really bored, but I, I'll just rattle through. <laughs> Food Giant, Jaffco, which was like a it was like a Target back in the 80s, Jaffco. Jay Jacobs. Yeah, it was, right. it was where you got your audiovisual stuff in Bellevue anyway. Jay Jacobs, which was a, a very upscale – clothing store in the 80s the kingdom of course i miss the kingdom kind of (laughs) larry's market lusty lady which was a uh a porn store slash peep show but that was chong's favorite place (laughs) it was in it was in um pioneer square and it was known for its pro-woman stance in a weird way and they always had these funny like um billboards on the outside and Kind of missed that. Uh, May's Finney Ridge Cafe, Mama's Mexican Kitchen, the Mars Bar, which you and I actually played at. Yeah. Um, that after hours place on Capitol Hill. Do you remember that it was upstairs and it was above Capitol like a – Yeah, it was – It was. we went there a oh, yeah, bunch yeah, yeah, of times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. It was yeah. above a uh, – like a limb prosthetic manufacturing plant or something <laughs> and uh it was absolutely illegal but it was after hours and yeah. it was a dance place and mitch would actually dj there sometimes i think um the red robin by the university bridge twin teepees oh, by yeah. by beth's and this one's gonna kill you knock knock <gasps> what yeah that disappeared a long time ago oh i guess i remember that but that's yeah so that was one of our favorite dance clubs because it was rarely full, and they yeah. often and they often played like actual good '80s dance music and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So now we're onto the list of the things that are true losses for me, which I'm sure will even bore the listeners even further. But it's a shorter <laughs> list. Um, Fun House by the Space Needle, which was a kind of a grungy uh, place where bands played, and it was right by where I used to live, and we used mm. to play there. Uh, Speakeasy Cafe, which was one oh. of the very, f- it was one of the very first uh, internet cafes in in the Northwest, I think. Yeah, and it burned down in two thousand one, and they would have jazz bands, and you could get beer and wine, and check your your Pine email. <laughs> uh, the Denny's in Ballard and in South Lake Union, I miss those. The Pagliacci or Pagliacci in the U District is gone. It's a different what? pizza place. Yeah. Isn't that it's crazy? It's gone? Yeah. It's a different pizza place now. It's crazy. Oh, no. Yeah. That was wow. the original. That was the first one I ever went to. Yeah. Um, all the various old coffee shops in Seattle. I miss all those. I mean, the thing that I'll say is my memory of Seattle, Seattle. Like when I think of Seattle, Seattle, my Seattle, I think of 1989 or 1990 Seattle. It was a very humble place. It was pre-grunge, pre-Microsoft boom. It was a sad little town that was always <laughs> always cold and rainy, and you were always putting layers on, and you were poor, so you had to take the bus, and you were always wet from the rain. <laughs> and you'd go into these like real grungy coffee shops where you knew the barista, and the menu was simple. You had... 
drip coffee, you had Americano, and you had latte, and you had a regular espresso shot, and that was it. There was no macchiato or you know, all the various different – it was just like <laughs> – there was just three things on the menu. Oh, and a mocha. Of course, you'd have to have a mocha. <laughs> and, and didn't you have to say things like – when you walk in, didn't you have to say things like, yo, lame, lame stain – uh, my kickers got wet, and this is such a harsh realm now. I need yeah. some fuzz on my caffeine. Yeah. You dish? <laughs> yeah. So, Berto right now is referencing a classic uh, spoof when the when Seattle scene was so big, someone from, I believe, like the New York Times or something, like <laughs> – like reached out to Sub Pop. They just called yeah. Sub Pop as like the main because they were the label that all the big bands were on, like Nirvana. And they just called Sub Pop and they were like, oh, we're doing this article on, you know, Seattle culture. And so we'd like to ask you, like, what's the what's the lingo in Seattle? Give us, you know, give us the lingo. Like you might <laughs> say if you called like the 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 skateboard or the the surfer lingo in Los Angeles, there might be words like, you know, riding the tube or whatever it is that they right. say. And so, so they were calling Seattle asking for that. And Seattle and, the, you know, grunge was so anti-establishment and so snarky. Like they were the, they were the, they birthed snark. Uh, the woman was, she was like, Megan she, just Jasper. It, she just thought it was like the dumbest thing. And so she just made up a bunch of shit and they printed it. Uh, so Berto is reading all this. She stuff. she came to give a Megan Jasper was the gal. She came to give a, a talk at my work one time. Um, it was really interesting. She talked about that whole thing and how like you know she didn't even know it was you know she's like I didn't know it was going to be a thing. I just like I'm like really you want terms? Okay, I'll give you terms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, some value villages. That so I don't know if this is a national chain, but it's a secondhand store, and almost all of my clothes and a lot of my kitchen utensils would come from Value Village when I was younger, and a lot of those have closed shop, which makes me sad. The Doghouse, which later became the Hurricane, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, but the Hurricane's still there, yeah? No, no, no. Oh, no, no. Oh, what? Yeah, that whole area is torn down. I mean, you know, it's all Amazon stuff now. Oh. Uh, the McLeod residence, which I think I brought you to a couple times, it was on Second Avenue and it was upstairs. It looked like oh. a like a secret room up these stairs. It was a really Ooh. cool looking bar. Did I ever take you? That up sounds there? familiar. Anyway, the old spaghetti factory downtown is yeah, no longer there. Yeah, I remember that. All the various cellophane squares, which I'm sure you miss. Yeah, it was a secondhand record store and CD store, and yep. I would buy all. They they would have this long rack of 25 cent records. They were like, you know, records that they figured they wouldn't be able to sell for anything more than 25 cents. Right. And I would regularly go into the one on the, at the U district and it was the cheapest, you know, cause back in the day before the internet, you couldn't steal music, right? You yeah. couldn't just, you couldn't just look up on YouTube or Spotify and listen to these songs. The only way you could get it is if you actually had your hands on it and possessed it. Yep. And CDs were like 17 bucks at the time. And I, and I was like, I loved too many. I loved too many songs to waste seventeen dollars on just ten songs. Yeah, that I, is that's so true. Like it's it's such a bizarre re- reality, right? Because nowadays, if you hear from anyone that there's some band or whatever, like within seconds you are listening and seeing their videos, seeing whatever you want. But back right. then, like you couldn't. You'd have yeah. to find someone to borrow it from or. 
you know, or save up the money and yeah. Like I discovered Elvis Costello because for whatever reason in my circle, I didn't hear any Elvis Costello, but I, I was sort of aware of him kind of. And I went to Sulphur Square. This is in, at Bellevue Square because, you know, I grew up in Issaquah, which is close to Bellevue Square. And I I saw Punch the Clock by Elvis Costello. And I was like, huh, you know, and it was probably like a couple bucks. And I was like, OK, I'll buy this. And I take it home and Punch the Clock by Elvis Costello is still one of my favorite albums of all time. It's just an amazing album. Uh, the most popular song on that album is um, um, Every Day, Every Day I Write mm. the Book, you know, that song. Nice. And I was like, oh, my God, um, I want to I want to hear more Elvis Costello albums. Well, the only <laughs> way I could do that is if I w- went back to Cellophane Square and bought and bought more records. Now I could have bought more CDs because that was the the going thing at the time. Yeah. But again, seventeen bucks. I didn't have seventeen bucks. I did have one dollar that I could buy <laughs> that I could buy four records with. And a lot of times, uh, you know, there was at least one or two songs. And I discovered some amazing music that way, like some old yeah. Genesis albums, old Police albums, of course, old Beatles albums. Uh, that you know just weren't popular at the time, and so I could buy it for t- anyway. All this, sell- I spent so much time at Selfie Square, not just for the records, but the posters and the pins and the stickers and the you could listen to stuff on the record player. And like I just, I lived in Selfie Square, <laughs> um, in in Bellevue Square and in uh, the U District. Yeah, I would go to the U District one for sure. Yeah. All the landmark theaters like Harvard Exit and all those things, those are all gone, which is really sad. Oh, my sad. gosh. The Harvard Exit is gone? Yeah, all the landmark theaters. So this oh. is like the the boutique theaters of Seattle are all basically gone. They, we still have oh. some boutique theaters, but for the most part, they all went under. Sad. Uh, Ferrell's. I don't know if you're aware of Ferrell's. Are you – was Ferrell – okay, so you're not aware. So in the 70s – and I think of the 60s, the place that everyone wanted to go for their birthday. This is before McDonald's was really big and before McDonald's oh, had really? like a before McDonald's had like a playground the way that they do now. Yeah. And it was, and it even kind of even predated like Chuck E. Cheese, I think. There was this thing called Ferrell's, and maybe it was just in Seattle, I'm not sure. But it was it was an an old 50 or 40 style malt shop that was a ice cream place. And they had Ooh. giant jawbreakers like the size of a bowling ball that you could buy. You oh, know, man. They, they, they had giant uh, uh, lollipops that you could buy. And whenever you wanted to do on – whatever anyone had a birthday, they'd always want to go there. And one of the things that they would do, you know, they, they would sing songs and there would always be a – if you were a little boy and it was your birthday, they would always drag some girl waitress to kiss you on the lips – Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't go over very well today, but anyway. <laughs> uh, pizza and Pipes. Do you remember Pizza and Pipes? I do, actually. Yes. Okay. So this was – I don't know if this was a national thing, but in Bellevue, they would serve pizza. And again, it was a very big uh, birthday place. And it sounds boring, but it was amazing. They would show an old – black and white cartoon or some yeah. other black and white, you know, think Laurel and Hardy or uh, that kind of thing on this big screen. And then they would have a live organist who would play along with it. 
And he also had all these bells and whistles, like literally yeah. bells and whistles that he could trigger during particular times of the oh, of the of the cartoon. Like he had these like um these animatronic robots that he could press a button and they would do things and he was like this master. He was like the Wizard of Oz. He was like creating this Ugh. whole thing, and it was just. Um, and they had they had video game, you know, like coin op video games, like Galaga and stuff that you. Dude, could play. I had forgotten about that place. Thank you for reminding me. That was so fun. Yeah. Um, the old Elliott Bay Bookstore Company in Pioneer Square. Yeah. The, the downstairs cafe. Uh, it was kind of like Seattle's version of Powell's Books from Oregon. Man, the Elliot. So when I was in uh, high school, once a year we would come to Seattle. We, we meaning my parents, me and my brother, and my parents' friends with their two kids. We would come to Seattle to go see a Seattle opera thing, and we would stay at the Four Seasons Hotel. And it was like a weekend, you know. So like we drive up on Friday night, we go back down on Sunday, and so we had two nights in the hotel, and we had a day to walk around the city and stuff and every time we would go to the Elliott bookstore and I was always like blown away and we would spend a whole bunch of time in there oh, so good yeah Sunset Lanes the bowling alley and Ballard that closed shop Ballard is totally different uh, by the yeah. way and that's one of the things I went there many many t- many many times actually with Bob I would go there and we would actually gamble <laughs> <laughs> and uh the video game arcade place in Seattle Center. Or were, did you ever go there? Are, are you old enough to remember? It was a giant video game tent that was erected as video games became very popular. That is – I don't know if you know where the big video, jungle gym is. A video game tent in the Seattle Center? Yeah. Anyway, oh. the, it had like dozens of coin-op games. And one oh. of the games they had there was the Red Baron Oh, you remember Red Baron? Oh yes, it was, was basically a, a first person. You're in an airplane, a biplane, and you have to shoot down other planes. Yeah, and for whatever reason, this was my jam. I was good at this <laughs> game, and uh, whereas other games, I was always not very good at because you just never have enough time to get proficient, <laughs> you know, and or enough money, enough quarters. Yeah, um, and I'll never forget. Because, you know, back in 81, one of the – and they actually show this in the movie Tron with Jeff Bridges. The the dream of every 10-year-old in 1981, like myself, was to be playing a video game so well that a crowd would form behind you. Ah. <laughs> and that's what happened to me at the Video Game Arcade Center in, at Seattle Center when I was playing the Red Baron one time. Wow. I could, I could feel the presence of people behind me as, and I was in the flow, man. I was, I was shooting down planes. I was, I, you know, I was unstoppable and like, I could feel more and more people kind of gathering around as the crowd formed more people said, Oh, I wonder what's going on over there. And more people watched. And I was just like, yeah, this is my 15 minutes of fame. Have you ever had that experience before? I don't think i've had that at a video game arcade i've had that um like okay so i i've had that playing online like playing video games online um but unfortunately something that happens to me is i get uh i get performance anxiety in those moments and so like in the i I remember a couple times where 
I was doing so well, but then as soon as I became self-aware that I was doing so well and that others were watching how well I was doing, then I started not doing as well. <laughs> <laughs> you just turn around and you're like, I, honestly, I'm really good at this game. Yeah. No, trust me, trust me. In any other circumstance, <laughs> just don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> All right. On that note, let's take a break. and we get back, let's answer more questions for Umberto. What do you say? Let's do it. Okay, Berto, if someone from Sub Pop from 1992 were to try to convince all of the listeners right now who are not patrons to become patrons, what would he sound like? He'd be like, yo, you bloated big bags of bloatation. You got to like, you know, bound and hang your way over to the website and Cobb Nobbler become like a, you know, like a full on fuzzy fuzzy kicker which means you know like a patreon patron uh, otherwise you're gonna be just like a lame stain uh so you know rock on and uh keep on swinging on the flippity flop <laughs> i remember that one swinging on the flippity flop <laughs> uh oh another last question from famous patron linen what's the number one thing in in personal life that bounces you out of oh this is for me <laughs> Um, what's the number one thing in in my personal life that bounces me out of therapist mode? Um, mm. What's the one thing in personal life that bounces me out of pers- therapist mode? Uh, well, so this is a complicated uh, question, but in brief, the older I get and the longer I'm a therapist, the less distinct my therapist mode is from my re- regular mode. I mean, it's definitely a mode. I'm, you know, I'm definitely more kind of relaxed and more casual with, say, Birdo or my wife or something. I would even say I have a mode for podcasting that's that's really different than other kinds of modes. It's not dishonest. It's just, you know, I have to stay on top of my P's and Q's when I'm on the podcast, whereas in real life, <laughs> I, I can just stop talking for a while, you know, <laughs> whereas on the podcast, I can't really do that. Uh, so that's a very short answer that I'll say is that but you know, if I said okay, in general, as a therapist, of what would pop me out of that mode, it'd probably be something that would that I would mistake for. Oh, I'll share something like one of the things that I'm actually talking with my supervisees a lot about, which I can kind of relate to, is all of us are going through the coronavirus situation, and so when clients sit down and they're talking about their coronavirus worries and you know, what it's like to be quarantined and all this sort of stuff. It's natural for the therapist to relate to that somehow and to say, yeah, I can relate to what you're saying because we're all in the same boat. Yeah. But uh, but there's a, a certain level of self-disclosure beyond a certain point where it becomes less about the client and more about the therapist. And so that's one of the things that's actually popping – it did pop me out of my therapist mode in a bad way one time a couple of weeks ago, and I'm hearing from a lot of supervisees that it's doing the same. Mm, interesting. All right, anonymous. Like the context is the context is so different in these times. You know? Yeah, I mean, part of it is that as a therapist, you know that the client knows that you're going through the same thing. You know, it's and it's kind of unprecedented. <laughs> it's kind of unprecedented where the very yeah. thing that your client is suffering from 
everyone knows that you're suffering too. Yeah. And so do you not say anything? Because that seems kind of weird, right? So, and a lot of therapists are walking around with a lot of raw feelings that are unprocessed that are just waiting to be vented. And when a client brings it up, it feels natural to kind of follow suit, you know what I mean? And that can, yeah. make, that can make it more about the therapist. It's, it's, a, it's a complicated thing, but anyway. Anonymous patron, she writes, if you and Umberto could be any fictional character for about one hour, who would you pick and what adventure would you want to go would you want to go on? Berto, what's your answer to this question? Oh man, any fictional character for one hour. Just one hour though? Man, that's I guess the length of an episode of something, but well, I guess uh one easy answer would be Superman, right? Because like, I mean, heck, that's great. I can travel at the speed of light. I can fly through the cosmos. So at the very least, I have one hour. I can get to the sun. I could, uh, oh, and that would make me extra powerful, which means I probably could go then faster than the speed of light. So then I could probably just like cruise around the solar system. One thing for sure I would do is go to the bottom of the ocean and just stand there and like be like, yep, I'm at the bottom of the ocean and I don't need to breathe and everything's cool. Um, and, you know, that would be easy. However, if I'm... If I'm being more creative, you know, or like trying maybe the the road less traveled, um, I would be the Sandman, which uh, would mean that I could control dreams. And what I would do is I would put dreams in everyone's heads that were asleep. Uh, Maybe if I only have one hour, that's too bad because it's only half the world. But I would put dreams in their heads. I think you can put daydreams too. And those dreams would be... Uh, for how to change the world for the better and like, and you know, like be better people and be better world together. And so that's what I would do. Wow. How altruistic of you. I feel like you're growing up. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm being serious because usually when you're asked questions like this, it's not clearly altruistic in <laughs> did you expect like i'll be invisible man and go in the girls locker room yeah i mean i i feel like no joke five years ago that's how you would have answered the question all right <laughs> i mean not that you know silly but in that sure. direction that more kind of just typical anyway because i find that as i get older i when i get asked questions like this it's much more altruistic although i do not have an altruistic question although i or i guess i kind of do in a way so for me, my answer to this would be Hito on Heroes, the TV show, first season, mm. because he can stop time, and that means I could turn that hour into forever for me. Ah, <laughs> and I could study things and clever th- throw all the nuclear missiles into the ocean and get rid of crime, and you know, just do everything in that one hour and and then, <laughs> then start time back up again. Uh, but my real answer would be. And I gave this a lot of thought because I have a lot of runners up. And I, I thought about it a long time. For me, it would be being Luke Skywalker in the Hoth battle. Mmm. Ooh, yeah. In fact, I just ordered Lego Snowspeeder, and I'm going to put it together soon. <laughs> oh, fun, man. Yeah. But what if, what if like, you know, just because you're Luke in the Hoth battle doesn't mean you're going to get as lucky or you're going to make all the right decisions. True. And we didn't see every single moment of that battle, so... To be honest, Ooh. all I want to do is fly one of those snow speeders. I mean, <laughs> yeah. those, that, I don't know what it is about uh. the, the design of that snow speeder. It is, 
it just touches something. I mean, I guess because I, I saw the movie when I was nine, it just like imprinted something on my brain. But those yeah. snow speeders are just like the coolest things I've ever seen. You know, it just looks same. Like, yeah, same. I mean, it was incredible that you you already had like such cool ships in the first one. Like they they kind of could only go downhill from there, and they come out and right out the gate, you're like, oh my god, what is that? I want one of those. And uh. then in Revenge, they have. The speeder bikes. Speeder bikes. Which are awesome too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's one thing you can give uh, George Lucas is that an eye for cool vehicles, you know? Yeah. Cool vehicles that could be cool toys. (laughs) So my runners up are Gandalf because I would want to figure out his true powers. Mm, Yeah. Han Solo so I could fly the Falcon, of course. Oh. Do the Kessel Run, if you will. (laughs) Uh, Napoleon Dynamite because I'd like to dance like him. Uh, Captain uh, Kirk, Captain Kirk because I mean, come on, sure, yeah, fighting, right. maybe fighting Khan right. or something or saying goodbye to Spock or something. Time Bandits, the boy during their adventures. Have you seen that movie, mm. Time Bandits? Yeah. So this movie came out when I was around ten years old and was completely geared towards me and I recently rewatched this movie and it is it's just a glorious movie made by you know, one, of, the, one of my favorite director writers Terry Gilliam yeah the the thing though is for whatever reason I didn't see it as a kid I don't know if it didn't come to Columbia or whatever I didn't see it as a kid and so I went all through high school then college I never heard of it I never saw it and I was at work one time this was like in I don't know 15 years ago or something and someone's like, blah, 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 Time Bandits. And I'm like, uh, what's that? What do you mean, what's that, Time band? And they were in shock and disbelief that I never saw it. So we actually booked a conference room um, and during like a work day so that we could all watch, like the whole team watched Time Bandits. <laughs> and I liked it. It was good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, watching it as an adult, it might be like, okay, whatever. But imagine being 10. Which is yeah. kind of the age of the of the boy, yeah. Uh, it would and at a time when movies like this didn't really exist, yeah. and and entertainment like this didn't exist. So it was it was really something. This this movie for me as a kid, yeah. I probably watched it I don't know dozens of times when I was that age. Uh, the next runner up is Limu Bai and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, played mm. by by Chow Yun Fat. I would want to battle the evil witch because um, Lee Mubai is just one of the coolest characters of all time. Yeah. Uh, I'd want to be on Gilmore Girls because I love that show. I love that town. And I'd want to be Kirk uh, because my name is Kirk. And I'd uh, want to yeah. hang out with Lorelai and all those people. Um, I also thought it'd be, fun, it'd be fun to be the Fonz on Happy Days because he's so cool. <laughs> and jump the shark. Yeah, exactly. And the final person is to be in the band Sp- Spinal Tap, be the lead singer, and mm. and and play Fat Bottom Girls because that just seems like a really awesome thing to do. That sounds fun, man. Okay. Um, oh, oh, okay. Then then I'll add one bonus one for mine. I want to be Plastic Man. Ooh. Because what would you I do? Watch... What would you do though? What adventure? Yeah. yeah would you do? Well, because I used to watch the cartoon on on Saturday mornings when I was a kid. Um, and so, okay, what I would do is. First of all, I don't have to get up for anything. Think about it. I'm watching the movie, and you know how many times, like, oh, I should have gotten water, or someone you're with, like, can you get some water? Like, I don't have to get up. 
I can fulfill anything. Oh, and it doesn't matter if it's upstairs. I can stretch that far. It's cool. Second, your uh, sto- uh, wall climbing, like in the El Capitan, you know, they're filming you. You're free solo, free solo. And then, oh no, you fell. No problem. You just stretch your arm. Oh, the buddy you were with fell. No problem. You stretch your arm. It's no problem. Uh, like all those movies where people are falling and you're like, oh God, no problem. No problem. uh okay plastic man is the marvel knockoff of fantastic four right it's dc dc knockoff oh dc knockoff of marvel's fantastic four yeah (laughs) yeah uh patron chris from los angeles asks these questions or asks this question after many years of being married i got divorced a couple years ago i'm a 39 year old male I find dating at this age very challenging. Any advice you and Umberto offer is always appreciated. I'm a little too old to fall for most of the advice online targeted towards men like advice from Jordan Peterson or pickup artists, etc. For one, my spouse and I never had kids, but most of people I run into are parents. The prospect of being a step-parent feels like an enormous responsibility. Berto, any thoughts? Wow. That's hard. That is hard. You see it in movies, you know, and then the movie is about that person trying to climb back on the horse and stuff. Um, And yeah, okay, so let me think. One thing would be, and I've said this before in so many contexts related to dating, first, you need to have a life, meaning I think that the best way to start to get in relationships is to first you be in a relationship with yourself Try to find a center. Try to find your own, like, what is it you like doing? And that that might be very important, especially after a long relationship. You might have lost a bit of who you are, yourself, and stuff like that. So what is it that you like doing? What, what are your interests? What are your aspirations, goals, all these things? Um, because A, that will make sure that you're not um, losing yourself in the process of trying to find someone new. B, it will make you more interesting. And see, it'll make it like it's not all about someone else. Like, you know, what about you? Why, why does it only have to be about other people? Uh, so that that's generally some something that I, I like to think of. Um, then as far as how to find women, man, that's tricky. But I, I think that uh, I would still double down on my suggestion and be like, well, what if you join social environments that are geared towards the things you like? And then through those social environments, and I mean clubs, uh, get-togethers, you know, conventions, online groups that meet about, you know, all those kinds of things. You might meet people that are, you know, aligned with your interests. Um, and, and ultimately, and I know that this is not possible right now, uh, but get out there. <laughs> get out there and, and, and get practicing uh, meeting people, talking people with no expectations and just kind of exercise those muscles. While you're in COVID situation, maybe you got to do it virtually, but... Yeah, uh, there are some people I know who are dating social distance style, which is you meet up at a park and you sit 10 feet apart and you talk. <laughs> what? Uh, really? This is happening? Yeah. I mean, why not? Wow. Right. Yeah. Uh, the heart wants what it wants and it can do so within the coronavirus age. Wow. Um, yeah. The only thing I'll add to that is that I'm glad, Patron Chris, you're considering these things that you're thinking, ah, the online 
information doesn't seem to fit with me. So you're being, you're being critical of that and thinking, you know, does this apply to me? That's great. And you're also thinking, hmm, you know, what, what do I want about, do I want to be a step parent? Do I not want to be a step parent? Is that a deal breaker for me? That's something to think about. Now, I will say that being a step parent um, is a huge responsibility and it's not something to take lightly. And you want to think about uh, whether or not you want to date someone uh, with that potential prospect in mind. The other thing I'll say is that the chance that the next person you date is going to be the person you marry is pretty slim. And there's nothing wrong with having like a six-week romance or a six-month romance with someone that ultimately ends, but you had a great time, at least for a portion of that time. And the step-parent question never gets asked. Um, The other thing I'll say is that a lot of people your age, 39, will say, it's really hard dating at this age. Well, it's really hard dating at any age. Uh, it's not like being 22 suddenly makes it easier. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, in certain social circles, if you're 22, it, it's easier to meet people in some situations. But it all just depends on your lifestyle. There are plenty of 22-year-olds who email us and say it, they find it impossible to meet people. So uh, there's nothing really particular about you that makes it hard to meet people. Uh, there are plenty of other people in and around your age that are dying to meet someone like you, and it's just a matter of meeting those people. And, that, and that's the, the one of the biggest things that I tell people that I've found to be true with the clients that I've worked with is trust that that that's you know maybe not the one, but like one of the fifteen that uh, <laughs> you are compatible with in your uh, geographical range. That person is out there and that person is dying to meet you. And the fact that you went on one or two online dates and it wasn't one of those 15 people shouldn't surprise you. And to go on, say, you know, for six months and you say you meet like, you know, 25 people online, the fact that it didn't work out with any of those 25 people, again, should not surprise you. Just think of the statistics. The chance of meeting someone that is – the that you want to spend the rest of your life with and they want to spend the rest of their life with you, that's a rare individual. And it's a numbers game at that point. Now, maybe you'll meet that person on the very first date. That happens sometimes. But maybe it'll be the the 200th person you meet. Bob talks about this sometimes. He He went on hundreds of different first dates with different women in Seattle before he found Colleen and found his compatible soulmate. It took him a lot of tries, and uh, you know you just gotta you just gotta accept that. Now, again, yeah. you might meet that person on the first try or the tenth try, but don't get discouraged. Is the point, and don't give up on the gender because things didn't work out in the first few times. That that's just a key part of it. Um, yeah. you all, uh, patron Chris also asks. Also on dating apps, women are either out of my league or unattractive to me. Maybe I see things as a little black and white. Berto, what do you think? Oh, that's interesting. Either too or too little. Um, I wonder if part of this is that – okay, so I'm going to be a little harsh here. So if someone uploads the best possible photo of themselves – I think it's going to elevate the average for, say, half the people. Uh, And then maybe there's half the people that you're never going to find attractive because 
the way they look is just not what you're into. And no matter how good of a picture they upload, um, you know, you won't like them. And so if this would have been out in, in the streets, you might have, you know, found uh, a range of the people that you find attractive and some of them would be more more attractive than others. But online, they all like post these glamorous photos. So you think all of them are like super hot um, and therefore out of your league. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of, of a bias there when you're just looking at pictures online uh, and, and profiles online. That said, uh, again, this might sound harsh. If you're finding it hard to meet people, uh, maybe try lowering your bar. Like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that If you can. But, you know, that might be kind of hard for some people to do. I mean, one of the things that... I have noticed in observing people as they online date is that they will as especially with apps like Tinder which is completely based on the picture that the person has I find that people are looking for sort of like a hot person if that makes any sense you know yeah they're flipping through the the pictures not everyone is like this because there's certainly people who, who actually avoid the hot people because they associate them with douchebags or something but there's plenty of people it's just like you know does this person have beautiful eyes they might not verbalize that but they say that when we actually date in real life by the time you actually meet people we don't date like that we date yeah. – we, we become attracted to people based on a gestalt of a lot of issues. Everyone out there, think about you know the last five people you dated or I don't know, the, the past few handful of people. And you know, if you just saw a picture of them, particularly an average picture of them, would you be able to pick apart like something wrong with the way they look? You probably could, right? Um, this or that wasn't quite right, or you know, if you could change it, I suppose you might have changed one or two things. But of course, that's not how we think when we meet people. When we meet people, it's just like, wow, I feel like I really like this person. I I want to get to know them better, and um, I want to I want to touch them and kiss them and <laughs> and take them home with me. Uh, and you don't focus on their the closeness of their eyes or the fact that they're getting gray or they're balding or something like you don't you don't think about that when you meet some but when you're flipping through on tinder you might of course be like oh balding no oh you know uh a little overweight no you know you you, you do that kind of stuff and so that's just another thing to think about is like okay this is a an indication of some attractiveness but you really just can't tell until you, you meet the person in in real life the other thing is is the notion of people being out of your league is is a little silly. It's possible yeah. that those people might actually really, really want to meet you. So even though they look like they're out of your league, it doesn't mean that you you know can't uh, put out some feelers and just be like, hey, you know. Uh, now, some advice about that is if a woman on heterosexual dating apps, uh, if you can tell that she's that she's really attractive. She is probably there's some disproportionate amount of messages that go towards women that are you know the top one percent attractive women on these dating apps get like half of the messages <laughs> I, you know I don't know the exact stat <laughs> yeah. but but it's something like that because there's certain women that just provoke a huge amount of men to just take their chances of just like 
Well, I'm probably not going to get with her, but it's worth a try, you know. And they just and these women just get showered with messages, you know. And so, you know, just think about that as a, either as just empathy for them of just like, well, I don't want to be another one piling on, or gear your message appropriately, right? Um, make it a little bit more personal uh, so it sticks out somehow from the from all the you know random stuff. Anyway, like a dick pic, you mean? Yeah. Totally. Uh, So this – he goes on to say, uh, being alone the last three years has definitely been difficult, but I'd rather be on my own than be with someone that I don't have feelings for. I've been on three first dates this year but didn't really feel a connection with any of them. But I don't want to be alone. That puts a lot of pressure on either finding and connecting with the woman of my dreams or starting my cat collection right now in solitude. Am I wrong in doing this? Berto, what do you think? Uh, so first off, I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling like you you, you're, you prefer being alone than, uh, you know, faking a relationship or something. I think that's fine. I do wonder, uh, do you have male friends uh, and that you do significant activities with and that you feel fulfillment with? Um, because... There's a difference between being alone as in you don't have a female partner in this case versus you're alone you don't you don't interact enough with other people um so if if it's true already like no you have your friends you do your stuff you're just talking about the the female relationship okay i i get it uh but if it's not i would i would advise recommend like try to do stuff with with buddies like try to do things activities uh, and not just like playing online or watching movies and stuff like try to do activities um, and again so sorry if you're already doing this and I'm preaching to the choir but if, if you're not because it will help you feel more sociable it'll help you get out there it'll um, help you meet randomly more people and you won't feel lonely it'll, it'll help you not feel lonely and then that'll probably reduce the pressure on oh gosh I gotta find someone to to be with but yeah yeah he goes on to say it's always felt like I'm into very few people, but the ones I'm into, I'm really into. Uh, is this normal? Berto, what do you think? Uh, I don't know if it's normal. I, I'll say, okay, so how do I feel about things? I generally love meeting people, but I don't find that many people that I want to be friends with. Um so I have a lot of acquaintances and you know this about me, like I'm pretty friend, I'm a friendly guy. So I will, if I show up at a club or a party or something, and there's a lot of people there that I've met before, I'm that person that will say hi to all of them and be like, oh my gosh, so great to see you, all these things. And I really mean it. I'm, it's not an act. I really mean that. I feel it in the moment, but I don't feel the compunction or the compulsion to, all right, I... I got to make plans with this person this weekend and with this person the next week. I don't really feel that because, uh, man, I got a lot of stuff already going on. I I don't really have room, I guess, for more people in my life. Um, And when it comes to women, I'm attracted to women. I find a lot of them attractive. Uh, However, being honest, there's not a lot of them that I, I feel like, yeah, I could really spend a life with this person, or I could even spend a week with this person. Um, I tend to be, you know, a sort of a, a certain way. <laughs> I have opinionated opinions. I'm, 
And so that doesn't always get along. And I mean, in a party, it's one thing, but like to actually go on dates and then be with someone, it, it does, you know. So I, I think that rules out a ton of potential relationships for me. Um, but in my case, I'm sort of okay with that. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to have relationships with everyone, uh, but I can be friendly with a lot of people. So there is a difference, though. I don't feel lonely. If I felt lonely, I think I would, I would look at my, sort of at my, at the decisions I make socially. But I don't feel lonely. I feel like if I, if I want to be with people, I can be with people. So that's why I was saying earlier, like there is a difference. If you like being, you know, more by yourself, if you have more introverted uh, aspects or whatever, that there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you might find more power out of that than I do. Uh, but at the same time, if you're feeling lonely, then I would recommend, I, like what I, what I tend to do is I reach out to people that I already know and um, I try to talk to them or make plans with them, male or female. Um, and then if we're specifically talking about romantic loneliness, like I guess you want to have physical intimacy and things like that, um, then, then yeah, that's a little trickier, but that's why earlier I was saying, uh, lower your standards, but I don't mean that in a, I'm trying not to say that in a casual way, like, dude, just, you know, lower your standards. I mean, like, what's the big deal? Just, just go out with more people, like just meet more people and, and so what if if they're not like a supermodel or whatever? I don't – does it really matter that much? Like I guess get a little fifth dimensional about it and be like, dude, to some level, you're not committing to having kids for 50 years and stuff. Like you're just meeting people and going out and doing activities with those people. And so what if they look this way or that way? Well, anyways. that's Yeah. Mind. Yeah, it's all good. Good advice. I hadn't really thought of it that way, bro. That makes sense. Uh, to piggyback on that, I'll say that if you find that you're lonely because of a personality trait that makes you extremely picky about the people you hang out with, then, of course, exploring that pickiness might help you to alleviate the pickiness and make you more open to people and less lonely in life. So, you know, but we can't tell if that's your situation from your email. I, okay. I, I will add one thing. When I was in high school, I had a couple of classmates. Uh, one of them, his name was Jim, and he's like this Italian guy. And him and I were very friendly in the class. Uh, we'd always kind of say, hey, how's it going? What's up? And stuff like that. But we never became friends outside of the class. And he would throw parties. I would often hear about these parties. He was definitely one of the popular cool kids. Um, and I never felt... I, I never felt like, wow, I I really wish I could be invited to these parties, but it was more like, oh yeah, like I, I don't know, it was it was this weird thing, but the fact was for whatever set of reasons, and I I couldn't really quantify them, even though we were friendly in the class, we didn't really translate that outside of the class, and neither of us made made an attempt, like he never invited me to anything, I never invited him to anything. We never talked about common interests outside of whatever we talked about in the class. Whereas there were other people that I met them once briefly at a, like a youth group and then we became inseparable friends. Um, and, and it's really hard to predict what those factors are. Uh, so so what, the, what I'm leading to with this is that um, if, I had, if I had kind of put all my eggs in the basket of like, okay, I met this person in this class and we seem to get along in this class. Now that needs to be my friend. 
that might have failed because we might have found that like that doesn't actually work. Um, instead, like I just got to randomly met people and then eventually I, I and I know that this is high school, very different dynamics. But I think that as an adult, some of those dynamics are still true. Yeah, last couple of things here, Berto, and then we'll adjourn. Um, he says that he heard Bread Knife Incident on Spotify and he liked it. Uh, which, Ooh. which, um, I guess now Not I'm surprised. Just, now I'm just, <laughs> you can also find Birdo's band, which is called Plastic Poly on Spotify. So if That's you're interested right. in our music, you can go to Spotify and go to Plastic Poly or Bread Knife Incident. The last question here, Birdo, is I don't remember who it's from, but they wanted to know, Birdo, what are your favorite hobbies? Well, okay. Obviously, music uh, has been my favorite hobby hobby since I was 15 years old. Maybe, I guess even earlier because I used to sing all the time. Uh, so certainly, hands down, if I was going to say like over the, my lifetime, what's been my favorite hobby, it's been making music. You know, Mostly, if I were going to narrow it even further, I'd say writing songs. Um, on a more casual basis, I love sitting at my piano and just playing and singing songs uh, not not even very hard stuff just stuff that I can kind of look at a chord chart and go I love singing Elton John Billy Joel Queen Disney songs you know stuff like that I just love it um, now outside of that video games uh, I have spent ungodly amounts of hours playing video games uh, not so much these days I have a busy life but um, but yeah, video games and uh, video games that I've really enjoyed like Zelda uh, or even games that took me more time. You know, Zelda is great, but it doesn't take quite as much time as as an MMO. I played a ton of uh, World of Warcraft, not as much as many people I know, actually. But uh, lately, a game that I keep playing over and over is Age of Empires, which is a real time strategy game where you're controlling all these little people that uh, are like historical uh, tribes like Do you play against real people? uh, Sometimes, but a lot of times I just like to play against the AI because it's less stressful. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you consider podcasting to be a hobby? Oh, that's a good question. I guess it started as a hobby. I don't think of it as a hobby nowadays because it's... um, But it's also not exactly... I mean, it's sort of like a job. That's a good question. I guess it would count as a hobby, but it, it's transcended being a hobby to more of like a regular thing that I do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's an in-between maybe. Yeah. So for me and you, we have almost the identical uh, hobbies, but I would say podcasting, I would categorize it for both of us as a hobby. Yeah, I guess you're right. Because yeah. we don't have to do it and there are, <laughs> there are much better ways to make money. I mean, if, if we're trying yeah. to... <laughs> you know, pay our bills, the per, the per hour rate on this is pretty low. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, it's gotta be something of, of, a, that's a good point. Yeah. Now it's or, also, you know, I, it's also a job, but, but, you know, yeah. being a therapist and, and being into psychology is kind of a hobby of mine too. Um, um I mean, I, what's the I, definition I, of hobby, I guess, is the question. I, that's a great question. And I was going to say part of the reason why, I might not think of it as a hobby because like I'm ultimately talking to you and so it's like I'm talking to my friend. But at the same time, like when we were doing music, like it's like with friends too. So, but it's still a hobby. So I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So for me, I would say podcasting is my number one hobby. I mean, like, yeah, 
during the coronavirus shut-in times, I what did I do with my extra time? Well, I poured it into the podcast and I'm doing all these extra things. Like if you're just listening to this on your phone app, know that I'm expanding our YouTube channel and I'm posting a lot of episodes that are only on YouTube because they're visual. And so if you haven't checked that out, go to YouTube and subscribe there, hit the bell and you'll get emails every time that I post something on YouTube. I post all the regular episodes there, but I also post... Uh, reaction videos. We, I'm doing a lot on Love is Blind, the reality TV show, uh, Tiger King, Modern Family since it just uh, uh, wrapped up. Um, so go to YouTube and subscribe there. Also, yeah, video games for me. I've been playing RimWorld and There Will Be Billions. And yesterday I even played Cookie Clicker again. Um, <laughs> So other uh, hobbies of mine are ancestry. I'm really into oh, the, yeah. the storytelling aspect of, of ancestry. And I have a lot of gathered data on my ancestry going back. Uh, also journaling I could consider kind of a hobby and documenting th- things in, in my life. Like at the end of every year, I make this compilation video of everything and it's absolutely a hobby. I, I, I like to put yeah. together photo books of particular times. Like when me and my wife got uh, married in Greece, I put together a whole photo book of all that. All that and I, it takes weeks and weeks of time to like put together those books. And yeah, uh, but I've, I, I like that a lot. And I guess also just like collecting things from my life, like little objects. Like I have almost all of my past cell phones um, and – Every, every one of those cell phones kind of reminds me of a time in my life, and I have them on a little shelf in my office. I you have, have all your cell phones? That's so cool. Yeah, except for my first one, which bums okay. me out because and, – and my first iPhone too, which I sold on hmm. Cra- Craigslist. But, but I have like – I have all my flip phones, every single flip phone wow. I've ever owned. <laughs> I, I, I still have. I still have my Zune, you know? Yeah. Uh, and when I – like if I'm talking on the phone, I, I sometimes I just kind of go over to that shelf and like pick up these old things, kind of flip through them. And it just reminds <laughs> me of, of, you know, 2005 or something. That's so cool. Uh, but yeah, you know, you've seen that shelf where I have all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the sort of memorabilia from uh, my life and before my life. Like I have my great-grandfather's eyeglasses um, on, on that shelf and – yeah, all these are just little reminders of times gone by is well, another kind of hobby of mine. I guess I should add um, – I should definitely add comic books because, you know, that's a that's a hobby of mine. Yeah. Um, collecting and, and reading comic books. I mean, I guess I don't – I don't collect exactly in the way of like, okay, I found issue number 67 of this one series that – I do own a few um, first, uh, first issues of some things, but mostly – I, I, I like series that I get into and I read all of them all the way through and I really enjoy that. What's one of the first issues that you have? I have uh, – well, I definitely have uh, – what's it called? Uh, Sandman, number one. I have um, uh, 100 Bullets, number one. And by I first have... issue, you mean like the first issue, not necessarily the first printing. Is that what you're saying? Uh, some of them are first printing, yeah. Like So I have these like in – you get them graded and they're um, – 
they're in like these vinyl plastic cases so that they're protected. Um, yeah. And then I have a couple that are not first issue, like they're not number one, but they're important ones. Like I have the one where Iron Man, um, where, uh, what's his name? His buddy takes over as Iron Man. Uh, okay. Um, How come have, 100 yeah. Bullets is not a TV series on Netflix yet? <laughs> yeah, right? They tried – they were going to make it. I don't know what happened. That yeah. lends itself perfectly to a Netflix series. Yeah. And it wouldn't even be that hard to make because there's nothing supernatural about it, right? So No. It's, it's all badass assassins. Yeah. And it would, <laughs> really, it would really lend itself to ongoing episodic television. Totally. In fact – that that was the thing is I was really worried when I first heard they were going to make a movie because – but then as soon as all these series started working out, I started getting so much hope for many of the graphic novels that I like because I'm like, okay, that would work. You know, if they did a – especially like on HBO where they didn't have to pull punches and and stuff. Yeah, for those who don't know, 100 Bullets, the premise is that there's this organization that supersedes government and law and they will send you – a briefcase with a gun and ten bullets, if I'm not mistaken. No, it's 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 a, a gun with a hundred bullets, oh. and they're all marked. And you can, and basically, if you kill someone with that gun and those bullets, uh, the authorities will know not to lay a hand on you. Right. So it's a bit of a mystery as to why some people find themselves in possession of this briefcase, and it kind of spans these different cultures and different, you know, groups of people, different types of people. Yeah. And then the story progresses from there of just, you know, it's an interesting yeah. fantasy that we all might have. It's just like, okay, if I had <laughs> the power to not only kill someone, but to kill them with my own hand with a gun and a, and a really cool looking gun and a briefcase, who would I kill? Would I kill anyone? What would I just not kill someone? Right. Um, and all the different machinations of the decision-making, the moral implications, and the adventures that these people go on would totally make an awesome Netflix show. Yes. All right. So that is that episode. What questions do you have for Umberto? Uh, you can email us by going to contact – or by going to website, psychologyandstyle.com. Fill out the Contact Us page. There's usually a link below for that. That's that's the best way to get a hold of me or Umberto. If you comment below or you send messages over Facebook or Instagram or whatever, it's not guaranteed that we're going to get that because there's just too many vectors of communication for me to keep track of. If I kept track of all those, I would literally have no time left in my day. So you can get a hold of me and Umberto through one way assuredly, which is go to the website, psychologyandcl.com, fill out the contact us page. The reason why I yeah. do that is because that it's a form and it asks all these important questions like, is it okay to read this email on the air? Uh, if we did read it on the air, how would you like to be referred to? What is your gender pronoun? All these yeah. kinds of things that people don't usually include these days in their comments and stuff. But I, we do see comments and obviously other people see comments. So if you're listening on YouTube or on Facebook or whatever and you want to comment below, here are the questions for you. Uh, off the top of my head, if you're from Seattle, what do you miss in Seattle? What is your favorite sandwich, regardless of where you live? Do you even like sandwiches? What do you think <laughs> of Kramer versus Kramer, the t the, the movie? Because we got into that a little bit. Um, 
uh, let's see. What do you think about dating? If you could be a fictional character for just one hour, who would you be? Uh, comment below. What are your favorite hobbies? What do you think about the stuff that we said? Uh, please be nice. Berto, what, what should they comment below on? What question do you have for the listeners? All right. Um, so a riff on the what if you could be a fictional character. Um, I would say if you could be a Greek god or goddess, um, what would you be? Which one would you be and why? And what would you do with their powers? So <laughs> an episode not long ago, I think it was the health anxiety episode. It went on really long. And at the end of the episode, we said, well, let's think of a phrase to say, and if people comment below, then we'll know that they actually listen to the whole goddamn thing. This is <laughs> this episode is not as long. It's only I don't know an hour, fifteen minutes or something. But I think it's you know it definitely is one of those meandering episodes that yeah. really, really you got to be a hardcore fan of the podcast to have gotten this far. So let's include another phrase, and if you comment below, we'll know that you listen to the whole thing. Alberto, what should that phrase be? Um. All right. Register your podcast online. <laughs> register your podcast online <laughs> yes <laughs> and everyone out there please take care of yourself because you deserve it